0: thank you that you delight to show your strength in our weakness. And Lord, uh, if you do not move by your spirit, nothing I say is going to make a difference in anybody's life here, and I know it. And so Lord, I ask that you would do what only you can do. Open up minds and hearts to the Message of the Word, the eternal Word that is our life. And I ask God that you would help me be faithful to you and strengthen your people this morning from this podium. And I ask this, Lord, in your name, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Yahweh every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus, the God-man, is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. And so, do it, Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the book of Daniel. We're getting back into the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, it's been a while since we've been here, so I just want to continue plodding through this amazing book. Daniel chapter 7, really the title is a question, is God sovereign over history? Is God sovereign over history or is he removed, disinterested and um, just kind of wound up everything and let it go like the deists? believe or is he actually intricately involved in everything that's going on because after all this is his creation you there yes we're fantastic well in the first six chapters of daniel we've seen the historical events which uh, were previously foretold by the prophets that um, Israel would go into captivity because of their idolatry and we we've we've seen that God used the Babylonians as his hammer as his discipline tool of discipline um, because Israel had lost their way we've also seen the exemplary example of Daniel and his three friends a tremendous example of how to be in the world but not of it, that from their youth they remain faithful to the God of the covenant in the midst of a hostile culture and at least in the midst of one ruthless king. These chapters are in essence a microcosm of the reality that God's people have experienced throughout history. And that is opposition from those that do not worship the one true God. But now the book in chapter 7 switches into another gear. Unlike the previous six chapters where there's a lot of biography and less predictive prophecy, the final chapters of Daniel, chapters 7 through 12, they have much predictive prophecy and a little bit of biography with Daniel. Certainly consistent with the biblical worldview is the notion that the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God, is more than capable of knowing what will take place before it happens, and relating that information to His prophets accurately and flawlessly. Now, this is a view that is against much of biblical scholarship that is committed to what's called scientific naturalism that essentially doesn't believe that God exists and yet there are scholars writing commentaries on this holy book. I gotta say, it baffles me and it incenses me when a lot of the times what comes across as astute scholarship uh, is actually empty sophistry that asserts a position rather than arguing for it and what i'm saying is this that often really smart people when it comes to ultimate issues are idiots they're stupid because there's the stakes are high never think that somebody uh, holds a position purely on intellectual Uh, 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 grounds they don't, neither do you and neither do I we are a complex uh, 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 creature and as being created in God's image the things that influence us are the way we were brought up the things we've been exposed to those things affect the way we believe and so never think that somebody believes purely on rational grounds it's not true So, why? What are the stakes? The stakes are your personal autonomy. The stakes are so high that we want to be the masters of our own destiny. Nothing's changed from Genesis chapter 3. Nothing at all. We want to be God. And that pull and that drive to want to be God makes creatures do a lot of really, really Foolish things. So what I'm trying to say is this. If ever anybody wants you to accept their perspective, their view, make them argue for it, not assert it. Because arguing takes work. Asserting any sloth can do. Understand? That's the lazy man's way, or the lazy woman's way, of wanting to get wanting to rule the world so now this chapter this chapter is broken up into two parts the first one is the recorded vision which is verses 1 through 14 and the second one is the interpretation of that vision now what I'm going to deal with today is just the recorded vision and I want to start reading here we go verse 1 in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled up, out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now this morning I want to consider three questions from this text. First of all, what is the vision of the four beasts? Secondly, who is the Ancient of Days that's reigning here? And third, who is the Son of Man presented. Right now in the book of Daniel we're seeing that we're in what's called apocalyptic literature. So there's a lot of simile, there's a lot of metaphor that's being used. There they are word pictures pointed to a reality to try to describe certain aspects of that which it's pointing to. So what is the vision of the four beasts? Verse 1 says in the first year of Belshazzar King of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. When it comes to dating this event, uh, it was the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. That's between 553 and 556 BC. Now we're not sure when Belshazzar actually became co-regent with his father um, Nobonidas who became who came to power between 555 and 556 now critics what critics try to do here is they try to place uh... this event around the time of antiochus epiphanies okay? uh... where the desecration of the temple took place during the maccabean period which was around 148 to 145 bc okay? Do you know why they do that? Okay, they do that because they do not believe that God can actually speak and foretell what's going to happen to the future to another human being. They're affected by naturalism. They really don't believe that there's really any supernatural, that this actually historically took place. That's essentially what where they're coming from. But as one scholar astutely put it, he says, if this chapter were composed during the time of the persecution under Antiochus Epiphanes, then it would show that its author was in the greatest ignorance as to the principal dates of his own time. I mean, if... if, if, During the Maccabean period, in, in Antiochus Epiphanes and they came against the Jews this was like news everywhere it would be like living in the United States you know when, two, uh, when uh, 9-11 took place and, and and not mentioning it it just, it just doesn't, doesn't fit it doesn't make any sense it, but, but not only that if that is the case if he actually if Daniel or the author here which I believe is Daniel if he was ignorant of such horrific events, then why should we trust anything He's saying? Trust that that, that it's historical in any uh, sense, shape, or form. So the dating's around 553, around there. Now this dream and vision is just like in chapter 2, where God revealed Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel. God, because God knows everything... Past, present, future. Because He is the all-knowing One. Because He is the all-wise God. Because by His Word He created the world and sustains everything that's in existence by the power of His Word, according to Hebrews 1. Because God can do that. This is nothing for Him. It's utterly consistent with the Christian worldview. Understand? Understand? Utterly consistent with believing in one true God who reveals. This isn't the big deal. What does he do? He uncovers what is previously hidden. He reveals things that are yet to come. He shares his thoughts with his prophets.
1: Now Daniel here,
0: it says that he essentially summarized. Chapter 7 is a summary of his vision, of his dream. And I want, I want to point this out for a, most of Scripture. You know how you and I sometimes are curious and we want to know more than what's written down? Don't we? Sure, we do. I mean, you know, we're curious. What happened here or there? You know, God gives us just enough what we need so that we can trust Him. Remember in the Gospel of John, the last chapter, John the Apostle writes this. He says, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose, that not even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. There's a lot of things that were not written down. The book of Acts, it's jamming fast. It's biography. It's historical accounts. And you see one radical event after another, and you think, wow, that stuff happened every day. But it, but I, I, no. It's a condensed version of things that happen through a larger expanse of time. So, Daniel, once again, he's got a vision. And he's got a vision of these beasts. So let's look at verse 2. Let's try to come to understand who these beasts are. Verse 2 says, Daniel said, I was looking in my, my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now some hold that this great sea was the Mediterranean Sea. It may have been, but it seems foreign to the context. If you realize Daniel is in Babylon and the Mediterranean Sea is very far from Babylon. Instead, most scholars believe that the sea represents the ever-changing Gentile world with its polluted, turbulent humanity as it attempts to govern and exploit itself. Now the four winds of the heavens represent the heavenly powers through which God sets the nations of the world in motion, and the number four speaks of all the regions of the earth being moved in violent commotion. There's a lot of activity going on, and I want to point out, God's behind it. God's behind it. Do you feel like things are getting out of control? Like less and less and less... uh, uh, Like the world is a lot less safe than it ever has been in your lifetime? Do you ever feel that way? Do you feel the angst? We got an election coming up. Do you feel the angst? I want to remind you, God is behind it all. He's working behind it all for His purposes. And if there's one thing I want you to take away today is this. If you're a believer you do not need to worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear that's what the nations of the world do who do not have the Creator as their Heavenly Father and a a word from Jesus is don't worry about tomorrow it's got plenty of evil don't worry about it you keep your eyes On the kingdom. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. God will take care of your needs. That does not mean that you don't work, that you don't plan, that you don't save. None of that. It just means you don't put your hope in that. Instead, you put your hope in God, who owns everything anyway and has your life, the days counted up to the millisecond of when you're going to die. So, verse 3 says, And four great beasts were coming up from the sea. Okay, so these beasts are coming up from the sea of humanity. Different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. Now this lion eagle, Okay. the lion and the eagle are kings among beasts. The lion is the king among beasts. The eagle is king over anything that flies. It conquers royally through its flight. The lion symbol was characteristic of Babylon, especially during Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Now this emblem corresponds to representation of the first kingdom with the golden head in chapter 2. If you recall in chapter 2 Nebuchadnezzar had a frightening dream and Daniel interpreted it for him. What the gold is among metals and the head is among the members of the body the lion is among beasts and the eagle is among birds now where this verse says I kept looking until its wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man a human mind also was given to it it may refer to Nebuchadnezzar when his sanity returned to him After that seven-year hiatus where, because of his pride, God said, okay, you're going to be like a beast. So he lost his mind because of his pride. Now, many hold that too much should not be made of this, since the beasts represent kingdoms rather than individuals. And we know that this beast, this lion, this eagle represents Babylon because it's interpreted later on that it is uh, Babylon. Verse 5, this is the second beast. Behold another beast, a second one resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. So here the bear displaces the lion, but there's no indication that there was any conflict. Now, like the lion and the eagle represented Babylon, most scholars believe that the bear represents the Medo-Persian Empire. Some scholars propose that it was raised up on one side, refers to the supremacy uh, of the, the, the Persians over the Medes in the empire. So and then the three ribs perhaps refer to Babylon, Egypt, and Lydia. One thing, as I was studying this, is super clear. There are a lot of things that aren't super clear, <laughs> but we're just going for it anyway. Okay. Shoot, it's a word of God. Okay, so that's that's two that that's that's two beasts. One is the Babylonian Empire. The other one is the Medo-Persian. Now here is a third. It says in verse 6, After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, or a panther some texts say, which had on its back four wings of a bird, the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Note that dominion is given to it. Dominion was given to it. Now who is giving the dominion? God is giving the dominion. Just like God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dominion and took it away. He did the same with the Medes and the Persians. And now he's doing the same here with this leopard. Now the leopard gives the impression, the leopard is a super fast animal and portrays the the division of Alexander's fast, vast spread of... Uh, conquering uh, the world. He had four separate parts within several years after his death in 323 B.C. So you've got... That's the Grecian Empire. The leopard is the Grecian Empire. Let's look at the next one. Verse 7. After this I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, And it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts this predator is not known to natural history he doesn't he could not give it a description but what he does say says that it's dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong dreadful terrifying and extremely strong have any of you ever been overpowered by a human being in a frightening way or by some uh, calamity in nature how about an earthquake you ever been in the epicenter of an earthquake I have two times in my life Uh, once in 1971 where we lived in Culver City And when that earthquake hit, I got woken up. My bed was rolling across the wood floor. All of the dishes from the cupboard came down, crashing down from the kitchen. And I was so shaken to the core; I was trembling inside. The other time I experienced being at the epicenter of an earthquake was 1987 i was working with my good old friend nick we were putting up a cinder block wall i got there early i was in whittier and i'm outside and i'm looking at the telephone lines and there's a bunch of uh, birds on there and all of a sudden i hear this noise it sounded like an airplane and right before the noise, boom, you know, made a, a boom sound under my feet, I saw those birds take off, and all of a sudden the earthquake hit, and it was bouncing up and down. It wasn't rolling; it was bouncing, and I was shaken. I mean, I, I I got so nothing has scared me like that in nineteen ninety three when Alexandra was a little girl remember the Northridge earthquake the North Ridge earthquake hit that thing was spooky it didn't bounce up and down it rolled and it did a ton of damage on freeways and overpasses I guess what I'm trying to get you to feel is that what he is seeing represents something very, very horrific. And these are kingdoms that are merciless. So this beast, whatever it is, swallowed up what was previously ruling. Crushed it. Through its military might. Through its exploitation and through its repression. I don't know if you believe this, but war will always be until Christ comes back. Until the new heaven and the new earth comes, the horrors of war are going to be experienced in this world. If you hold that you can, through your own strength and might, bring peace on earth, I promise you, you are not living in reality. So, the ten horns. The ten horns represent armed strength, military might. According to one scholar, the number 10 symbolizes comprehensive and utter rule, which this ends up becoming a 10-state federation, But, but there's more. The little horn with eyes like a man, who after defeating three of its rivals makes great boasts. This indicates that this is an individual ruler who is vain glorious, Rather than an entire kingdom, he's a ruthless world dictator. Where in the last days is going to bring horror to the earth. 2 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 3, says this No one in any way, uh, let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come unless, what's the it? The second coming. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will. This is really important. If you and I do not bow to the Lord Jesus, now, what happens eventually is our hearts get so hard there's only one direction it'll go and it is not Godward it it is it's heading for destruction this is really really serious stuff you know you're sitting in your chair right there and I'm standing up here and we are so out of touch with a lot of the horrors that are happening right now in the world. Horrors that God could stop in the blink of an eye if He wanted to, but He's doing something behind that. We have to understand that Romans says that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness and chose to worship the creature rather than the Creator It's Romans 1 we are seeing this happening right now people are worshiping themselves they think they are the masters of their destiny they think they are the ones who can choose what sex, sexual identity they have. And if you speak up against them, oh, it is no longer uh, allowed. We are not allowed to have a diverse culture in reality. But no, if you speak out against and say, I disagree with that, oh boy, they may come after your business. They will ridicule you. Make sure you're marginalized. They may even get you fired. They may even get you arrested. Why? Because you have chosen, by God's mercy, to worship the Creator rather than the creature. You have reason. Think about this. I asked somebody... When we were uh, uh, kind of dialoguing on my website, um, I was talking about truth. That uh, truth is grounded in God, and um, the guy never dealt with any of my arguments. I mean, didn't even deal with my arguments. So pompous. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I forced him to, to admit. So wh- who is ultimate? Where, where does uh, where, where does ultimacy come from? And the the guy said, from himself. Now, we know that's not true. How do we know that? Because that him, like you and I, we are needy. We can't be ultimate. I'm constantly in need of something or someone to help me stay alive. Think about that. To think that you're ultimate is lunacy. How does that happen? I think Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4 is a good example to us. Pride, when pride rises up within us, we the creature are less inclined to actually be rational. We pompously uh, uh, flaunt ourselves as rational, but in reality we're becoming more and more irrational. We are embracing more and more true Madness. Why? Because we've been designed. We've been designed to worship our designer. And when we do not live in accordance to how the designer made us, things go bad. Consider this for a moment. The rulers and kingdoms Daniel uses here. These kingdoms of men are likened unto beasts. With their acute ferocity. They're vicious. And I like what scholar and mathematician John Lennox notes. He says this the imagery of beasts is used not as a code simply to identify the empires since we already know what they are but rather to tell us more about the nature of empires that in various ways they behave like beasts they behave like beasts greatness wretchedness writes Pascal The more enlightened we are, the more greatness and vileness we discover in man. Human beings, he argues, exhibit two distinct qualities that appear to be contradictory. We're capable of exalted greatness, but we are also extremely corrupt in our nature. In Pascal's words, man's greatness and wretchedness are so evident that the true religion must necessarily teach us That there is in man some great principle of greatness and some great principle of wretchedness. Pascal subsequently paints a less than flattering picture of human beings. Quote What sort of freak then is man? How novel, how monstrous, how chaotic, how paradoxical, how prodigious, judge of all things, feeble earthworm repository of truth, sink of doubt and error, the glory and refuse of the universe. And if you think he's wrong, just think about the 20th century. It is the bloodiest century in recorded history. And there's been a lot of blood spilled through recorded history. It is the bloodiest century. Under atheistic worldview regimes, communism, Nazism, the inhumane treatment we are capable of doing today, we legalize inhumanity with the euphemism of women's health it's not even about the woman's health it is about a helpless innocent child who happens to be in the womb because somehow some way gets impregnated and that child is just a nuisance so we legalize the tearing apart of that child while it's in the mother's womb and we call that women's health you don't think that's barbaric? I am holding back the words that are coming to my mind And if you think like I just said, now I'm the bigot, now I hate women, I'm the problem, so we got to shut people like me up. Well, I hate to break the news to you. You're going to have to kill me to shut me up. So what we've seen is that these beasts represent four kingdoms, and as Daniel kept looking, he describes one reigning as the Ancient of Days. Now, who is this Ancient of Days? Verse 9-10 through says this, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. And myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. We are now going to get a glimpse, a depiction into the throne of thrones the term ancient of days is only found here in Daniel in all of the Bible that's it it comes from a non-biblical Aramaic meaning which means to move, proceed or to advance It describes one who is really old, aged. It's it's an elegant, Semitic expression to describe an old man. Uh, And even if the text does not explicitly say it, many commentators take this to be a synonym for God. Well, this old man, it's it's just symbolic, uh, has a tremendous amount of wisdom. Knows things nobody else does. And no, what does the fire represent? Well, not only does it depict God's white-hot glory and holiness, but it also depicts His judgment on those who oppose His authority. A river of vast, destructive, lava-like power flows from His throne that stuns even the angelic host. The writer of Hebrews in chapter twelve twenty nine says that our God is a consuming fire. Here the supreme court of the universe is in session where the all-wise, all-powerful, all-just judge will perfectly execute judgment. What are the books? They depict a record of the sins of the unrepentant which are about to be brought to justice. Recall in the Garden of Eden, what was the first doctrine to be denied? I've probably asked this once or twice. I know I haven't in, in doing Bible studies at home. What was the first doctrine? Uh, what, did Satan, what did the serpent say to uh, Adam and Eve? Has God said. Wh- what has God said? Will you surely die? Really? Will judgment really come? Nah. Judgment won't come. Understand that, you know, the reason we have death is because of judgment. The reason Christ came is to take upon that judgment on Himself so that we might be God's friends. And He's the only one. So you want to get in any other way? You won't. There is no other way. Again, how dare I say there is no other way? Who do you think you are? You Christians, you bigots, you homophobic... Misogynist pigs! You can talk all you want. You can assert anything you want. You you, you want to get into uh, uh, intellectual dialogue? Let's go for it. But if you want to ad hominem me, if you want to just attack me because you don't like me, all you're showing me is that you don't know how to argue. You show me how irrational you really are, and you're calling me the irrational one. Oh, by the way why are you calling me a bigot because I don't think like you do well let's turn the tables here why is it that I'm a bigot because I don't think like you do but you are the righteous holier than thou person because of your position how does that work pray tell that's lunacy but it's everywhere everywhere there's an appointed time for all wrongs to be righted and they're going to be righted by the one who sees perfectly is completely impartial is completely impartial and to him all lives matter you know how I know Jesus came to seek and save the lost. You read in the book of Revelation, it's all the nations are represented there. Jew and Gentile. From every tribe and language and nation. Oh, nobody loves like God loves. Don't buy the rhetoric don't buy the lie no one loves like God loves oh by the way since he is God and ultimate guess who grounds ultimate reality when it comes to what love is it's not you and me was that bad grammar I don't care. (laughs) What's the penalty of judgment? Verse 11 says this. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. And its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. But an extension of life was granted them for an appointed period of time. So his mouth is finally shut forever. The day will come when finally all those who oppose God and his people. Are you ready for this? The day is going to come when those people are, not only are they voiceless, they will be forgotten. In a hundred years from now, more likely than not, nobody really will know that you and I existed. But God will. God will. what a horrible reality to be forgotten as if you never existed what a tragedy for image bearers to be forgotten The day will come. The lake of fire awaits. And that's why Paul commands believers in Romans 12 not to take vengeance into their own hands. Listen to what he says. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The fact that judgment is coming should not make any believer less of a prayer of an intercessor. It should make us more of an intercessor. It should make us weep for those who hate God, who hate us. can you do that because vengeance is mine I will repay there is nobody who can repay more perfectly and exactly like God and that's why God is saying will you trust that I can handle this will you trust that I'm just now pray for those people win them with my love win them with my love even if it take if they take your life even if it requires you to die so that they might live judgment will be once and it will be for all the remnants of the world powers will precede the final tribulation of the last days their powers to rule will be stripped from them once and for all eternity consider what john wrote in Revelation and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh This is going to happen. Do you see why it's so critical for us to be salt and light? Do you see why it's so critical for us not to be cowards? By the way, in the book of Revelation, it says that those who are cowards do not get into the kingdom whoa what does that mean go back to the gospel what did Jesus say if you deny me before men you want to save your own neck if you deny me before men I will deny you before my father and his angels the cost of discipleship is death that's the cost but what do we get back in return Life. Never let the creature so scare you and freak you out that when push comes to shove, you recant or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the hurt on you or on your loved ones. May God give you the grace. If you ever find yourself there, if I find myself there, may God give us the grace to say, Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like Daniel. You don't get to that place... Kicking back... Playing Pokemon... Screwing around on Facebook... Gossiping your butt off... With social stinking media... You young people... You're the generation... Are you going to rise up? Are you going to really rise up and be men and women of the Word and prayer? Or are you guys just going to be like the majority of the rest of the church? Bland. Nothing to say because you don't really believe this stuff. It's not part of who you are. You're just playing a game. What kind of people are you going to be? The Ancient of Days is God Himself who will mete out judgment. And He's going to do it completely and He's going to do it swiftly. So while there is time, there's mercy. But when it's time for no more mercy, it's done. So who's the Son of Man uh, presented here? Verse 13. Verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven one like a son of man was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Which will not be destroyed. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, Jesus uses this term referring to himself more than any other um, term. Uh, And Daniel, of course, had no idea about Jesus, right? (laughs) Daniel was, what, I don't know, 500 years before Jesus or something like that? So the Son of Man title. This title is his favorite way of designating himself which He freely used. Nobody else used this title to designate Jesus. Only Jesus did. Do you think Jesus knew something that nobody else did about Himself? The early church fathers understood this term as primarily dealing with Jesus's humanity. The term is found in the Old Testament, where we've just read. Now here in Daniel, this passage speaks of one who is not only Heavenly in origin, but also of one who was given eternal rule over the whole world. Philippians, right? 2. The day's coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Yahweh to the glory of Yahweh the Father. when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and to his disciples he's explaining certain things, truths about the kingdom and he's going boy if you don't get this easy stuff how in the world are you going to get the harder stuff? and he referred to him as he who came from above This understanding of the Son of Man is precisely the backdrop from which the priests charged Jesus of blasphemy during his trial, before they crucified him. Matthew 26, 65 and 66 says this, Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you've now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, He deserves death they heard him say before Abraham was I am oh they wanted to kill him then what do you mean you are you am you ain't damn. they killed him because of who he was they crucified him because of who he claimed he was they crucified him because of who he claimed he was they knew he was saying he was making himself equal to God to call himself the son of God He was making himself to be equal with God. The Jews got it. And New Testament scholars don't. Well, how about Ezekiel? Ezekiel, that term is used in Ezekiel. Some have argued that the Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, referred to himself as a son of man. Okay? But there's a difference between a son of man and the son of man. What's the difference? Students? It's the word the. Right? The, the definite article. i never even heard of a definite article until I get, when, had Greek. It's a definite article. Oh, it's the word the. Okay, the. I know what the is. Definite article the demonstrates that Jesus was pointing to the divine end time figure... In chapter 7 of Daniel. In other words, it's a messianic passage. This is talking about the Messiah. Now, some would say, no, this is talking, it's a reference to Israel. So, some liberal scholars hold that this text is a personification of the Jewish people. Uh, It's not really, it's not talking about Jesus. They point to verse 22, which reads the saints of the highest one and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom and here these do share in the conquest of their Lord Uh, verse 27 says "Then the sovereignty, the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him so the, the saints of God do receive the kingdom We, in fact, are called to rule and reign with Christ. Jew and Gentile alike. No longer that division. We are one. But there's a clear difference between the saints and the Son of Man. The saints are doing battle with the dictator. Verse 21 says, I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. That's not what was going on with the Son of Man. The Son of Man is singular, first of all, not plural. And the Son of Man comes down from heaven in the clouds. He's clearly a heavenly being, not an earthly one. Daniel knows no kingdom that is headless, nor a messianic kingdom without a king. He knows this. He knows his Hebrew history, he knows his word. So it's illogical to think that a kingdom is here without a king or that people come down from heaven, not to mention it contradicts what Jesus taught. Plain and simple. The final outcome human history, contrary to an Eastern worldview, which is cyclical, in this worldview, it's linear. It's linear. Hebrew thought of history is linear here. It's not cyclical. There's a beginning, a middle, and a telos, a purpose for which we've been created and what we will be. The final outcome of human history will be the return of Adam's race. This is um, what uh, Gleason Archer wrote. The final outcome of human history will be the return of Adam's race under the rule of the divine Son of Man to loving obedience and subjection to the sovereignty of God, never again to fall away from Him. Jesus probably had verse 14 in mind when He told His disciples at the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. So the four beasts are kingdoms that will not last The Ancient of Days will come to judge them, and the Son of Man will forever guide the saints as the Eternal King, world without end. Do you live only for today? If you do, if I do, we're foolish. What is your life all about? every time I come up here I ask you that question, huh? I'm going to ask you again. What do you live for? What will you die? What are you willing to die for? The Nazis, the the communists, they were, they were gun-ho, they were ready to die for their country, for their cause. If you name your yourself to be a follower of Christ nothing less than death will do death to self so that you can follow in the footsteps of the master and really find your life really find joy that the circumstances can't touch they'll tempt you to you know, to, to rip off your joy. But they really can't touch it. You know why? Because as Paul said, these light and momentary afflictions are working in us a greater weight of glory that will be revealed uh, to us, through us, something like that. For us. Huh? Say that again. far exceeds them all. far exceeds them all. So what are you all about really why do you get up in the morning is the kingdom of God is Christ even on the radar because if he's not you are partaking of the cesspool of creation maybe that's too harsh you might be if is God sovereign over history? Yeah, Daniel 7 would affirm, absolutely. Absolutely. What does that mean? I'm sure you've made tons of application, hopefully. One of the things it means is you don't have to worry about your life if you're His. Because your greatest need has already been met. You're no longer God's enemy. And in fact, death can't even separate you from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus the Lord, if you're His. Hey, if you're His and you've made a mess of things because you just made some foolish decisions, that's not where your hope lies. Your hope lies in the God who is amazing at taking all of our screw-ups and turning them into a masterpiece. I'm serious. It's awesome. If you have angst over something you really think God has for you, but it's not materializing yet, just be patient. Be patient. Just be faithful with where you're at and be patient. And if you think that you need to step out in a way that scares you to death, because you're you're sensing God wants me to, to do this, just go for it. Don't overthink it. Go for it. Daniel did. You look at his life. The three Hebrew children did. The apostles did. And throughout church history, so many of our brothers and sisters did. And a lot of times it costs them their heads. They're going to get a new one. The new heaven and the new earth anyway. You know. I think sometimes my head's too big. Anyway. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much that um, you let us peer into. You let us get a little tiny keyhole glimpse of the throne of thrones Lord through your word you tell us what is to come what has been what will be and I ask God that you would um, cause in our hearts a ferocity to pursue the things of the kingdom to pursue you to pursue You in word and in deed, to pursue You in prayer, in rejoicing and in lamenting, praising and thanking, weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. Lord, whatever it is that's concerning any, anybody in here right now that's pulling them away from you and the kingdom, I just ask right now that by your power you would break the, 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 the strength of that thing and that um, whatever that thing is, it'd be gone in the name of Christ the Lord. Amen.